0: disciples on in chapter 13 and 14, really all of the upper room discourse, which would include chapter 15, 16, and 17 also in the gospel of John, as well as portion of Luke 22, he's going to be teaching them on the subject of holiness. Now, when I say holiness, for many of us. The thoughts that come to... I mean, your first thought. What did you just think when I said that word? Did you think of some monk in a monastery isolated from the world and isolated from... Or maybe some other kind of aspect of holiness? Well, let me submit one definition. There's more than one you could use for holiness. But one definition of holiness is basically... Loyalty to the person of the Lord and your relationship with Him. That's in it, in essence, what holiness is. It's loyalty to the person of the Lord Jesus, which will include the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because all three persons of the Trinity are brought out in this portion by our Lord as He instructs them. And And surrounded with that is the whole issue of love. So this week is going to be about love expressed in holiness. (laughs) It's interesting. Now, I was not, as the Lord was. Putting these thoughts together in my mind, I was not thinking Valentine's Day was going to occur during this week. It just so happens that it is. And, of course, the big theme of Valentine's Day is love. And I would encourage you couples, by the way, while we're mentioning that, to think outside the box a little bit on a way that maybe on Wednesday night you can arrange something, do something different with your spouse and will really... Demonstrate that kind of love that our Lord likes to see demonstrated. What our Lord does here in John 13 is, and we're not going to do it here this morning. Don't worry. You don't need to take your shoes off. He's going to wash the feet of His disciples. The King of the universe is going to get down on a knee and wash His disciples' feet feet. Now, I remember it, at a singles retreat many years ago, we did this. And it's a humbling experience. Guys with guys and girls with girls, don't worry, because it's, it's an intimate thing to do that when someone handles your feet and when water touches your feet. And most of us don't want people to see our feet, let alone to touch and wash them. You know, it, it's my feet, and of course we have the example Peter is struggling with that issue here he becomes kind of the spokesperson for them, but it's a great demonstration of the heart of God and I don't know about you or me when we think of Passion Week and we think of the events of Good Friday and the cross, and we think of Easter Sunday and the empty tomb, we might forget the events of Thursday evening when he set up the first Lord's Supper and washed his disciples' feet. So, again, I did not talk to the brethren whoever put together the bulletin, but when I saw the bulletin this morning and I saw true love, written, I, that's the theme, that's it right there. Who told him that? I didn't. But the Lord did. And that's what we're looking at here. Our Lord demonstrates love. But look at verse 17. I I know you normally don't start exegesis of the chapter in verse 17. You start in verse 1. But just for the impact of it, look what he says. If you know these things, blessed are you if who does them? If you do them. So, wait a minute, you you were talking about the Lord washing the disciples' feet. What do you mean we do them? Well, part of the instruction our Lord gives, not only on His own character and His own love and His own humility and His own condescension, He's giving them, the disciples, and therefore us, all born-agains, an example, example with a capital E, an example that we should do the same thing with one another. So not only is he giving an expression of the heart of God, he's teaching them and us how we're to relate to one another. And it's going to be interesting as the Holy Spirit gives us opportunity and we think about what the Scripture teaches us, you may be already thinking, well, how does that happen then? How do we go about washing? Does, it, does he mean physically, just physically washing our feet? There are some churches that... Have regular, maybe once a month or once a quarter, a foot washing session. And it's a a very humbling thing to go through. And I don't minimize anything that Christians want to do in honor of their Lord. But our Lord's main lesson is the spiritual lesson of foot washing. And the spiritual lesson of foot washing, let me just give you a, a little bit of window into it. Because he's going to tell us that we're clean by the word of God. So in the spiritual application of the foot washing lesson, what Brother Gooding likes to call an enacted parable, really, because that's what the foot washing is an enacted parable to instruct them. He's going to say in chapter 15, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. In other words, your hearing and responding to the word of God cleanses you. Paul will use that same picture in Ephesians 5, right? How the Lord cleanses the church and husbands their wives through the washing of the water of the word of God. Let's see? So when we spend time in the word of God, We are foot washing. (laughs) And when what we're doing right here. When we study and teach the word of God. We are foot washing in the spiritual sense. And when we interact with one another. In our service for the Lord. However we're doing it. As we quote scripture. And remind each other of scripture. And challenge each other with scripture. We're washing our feet. As it were. So beginning to see. How vital and important this lesson is. When we get to the Lord's high priestly prayer in chapter 17. You ever wondered if you could listen in the third heaven to a conversation between Jesus Christ and the father on the throne. The Lord's at his right hand and they're talking together. You ever wonder what they would be talking about. Well, John 17 is one of the places in Scripture where we get to listen in. Because the Lord Jesus is speaking to the Father, and He's praying for you and me. He's praying for the church. He said, well, Lord, what's important to you then? What are your prayer requests? By the way, they're a great example on what should be our prayer requests when we corporately gather on Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights and other times too, privately. Remember in chapter 17, verse 17? His prayer was, sanctify them, that is, make them holy. That's what that word sanctify means. Sanctify them through what? The truth. The one thing this world so desperately needs is the truth. And, and many are looking for it in the wrong places. And we need to be out there helping them. You know, I was talking to some people the other day. And they're just, and I there's the picture, they're arm in arm, merrily walking down the broad road that leads to destruction, but they don't even know it. They're just merrily going on and they're going and they're going to end up spending eternity in a bad place if they stay on that road. You and I know the answer, don't we? To help them see the light. Come into the light and get on the right road. The Lord says, sanctify them through the truth. And then he answers for us, what is the truth? Remember Pilate's great question. What is truth? And he demonstrated he didn't know it by asking that question. The Lord says very clearly, remember the verse? Thy word is Truth. So when he prays sanctify them through the truth, he's saying sanctify them through the Word. That's why we spend time memorizing it. That's why we have scriptorium. That's why we encourage young believers and old believers right, to spend time daily in the Word. Not because We want to make them into some sort of a ritual Christian that can brag about how many times they've been through the Bible or anything like that. Because their very vitality for Christ is rooted in that. It's rooted in our time in the Word. Now someone has pointed out very well and accurately that, you know, when you wash feet, you don't use ice cold water, hopefully, Right? Ah. And you don't use scalding hot water either. And you're gentle. And our Lord was. Our Lord's like that. He created the cells that make up the foot. He created the ligaments that make it work. And here he is washing their feet. This is before the cross. It's a whole day before the cross. And John tells us what sets it up at verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, they celebrated the Passover at sundown on Thursday night. Thursday in our calendar, in the Jewish calendar, the day began at sundown at 6 p.m. So Friday really began on Thursday at 6 p.m. So in the Jewish calendar, they were celebrating the Passover on Friday. But in our calendar, in our... English calendar, it's Thursday evening after sundown, 6 p.m. Before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them completely. He loved them to the uttermost. That's why in our title, Holy Thursday, the Lord prepares His dear ones. His dear ones brings the endearing side of that love in. He calls us His beloved. That's endearment, isn't it? And we need to, I think, Be careful to think more of ourselves that way as brothers and sisters in Christ, as his beloved and therefore beloved to one another too. And that's part of that foot washing example he's talking about. That would, if just that attitude toward one another would eliminate a lot of the problems in churches, wouldn't it? (laughs) That would take away a lot of the divisive spirits if we step back and say, Well, that kind of attitude toward your brother or toward your sister, is that like Christ's love? And you, No, it's not anything like Christ's love. Then get rid of it. Crucify it. Put it to death. Mortify it. Right? And put you on Jesus Christ. Put on love. See? God is love. So John says. When I think of the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper and the foot-washing parable and the instruction that followed that and the dismissal of the pretender, because in this chapter, John gives us the longest description of how our Lord dealt with Judas Iscariot, the pretender. Dr. McGee talks about, he says, I believe in the eternal security of every believer. And I believe in the eternal condemnation of every make believer. Peter says, make your calling and election sure. (laughs) It doesn't hurt to ask questions. You ask questions of a believer and cause them to get more focused on the Lord, they're going to spend eternity where? With the Lord in glory. But if you ask an unbeliever to make sure they're not pretending and they stay in the path of unbelief, where are they going to spend eternity? Not with the Lord. In a really bad place. Probably the paradigm. (laughs) the poster child for the biggest pretender maybe that ever walked on this planet is Judas Iscariot. Cain would be a close second, I think, the brother of Abel. But Judas Iscariot, he fooled all of them, except the Lord. None of the other 11 even imagined it was him that was the betrayer. Wow. And one of the things as we look at the chronological flow of Luke 22 there's there's been a discussion over the years in the history of the church well did Judas Iscariot take part in the Lord's Supper and some have this idea well there's no way Judas Iscariot could be he's not part of the church he could never partake of the Lord's Supper and so some well-meaning Christian scholars of the Bible some of them were my mentors (laughs) In order to keep Judas out of the Lord's Supper, have to move things around and take things out of chronological order to make that happen. And we don't want to handle the Word of God like that, do we? So when we put together Mark 14, and Matthew follows Mark, so we'll say Mark 14 and Luke 22 and John 13, we see the overall picture. And Judas did celebrate the Lord's Supper. Our Lord washed Judas's feet Judas went out and preached the gospel. When the Lord sent the apostles out by twos in Matthew 10, Judas went with them. Otherwise, they would have said, that's the betrayer, right? And he must have done miracles. If the others were doing miracles, he did too. Otherwise, they would have noticed, well, we all did miracles except Judas. What's wrong with him? But see, none of them thought of him. That gives us an interesting picture. You know, I've heard people say, well, we've got to guard the Lord's table from unbelievers and make sure we check at the door and, and all that. And there's a certain element of being careful there. But if an unbeliever takes of the Lord's supper, they're not going to eat and drink condemnation themselves. They can't be any more condemned than they already are. 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about a believer who partakes of the Lord's Supper in a way that's unworthy because they haven't judged sin that they know about in their hearts. You can't come to the Lord's Supper, celebrate the Lord's Supper, and be hating somebody else in the room. Because it's one body. You can't be doing that. You need to judge yourself before you come, not during the Supper. I've heard some brethren want to get up and tell their sins before the... That isn't what the Lord says to focus on the Lord. Before you come, judge and take care of those matters. But then come and participate. The Lord's put it all together in a marvelous way. So we have the story of the exposure and dismissal of Judas right here. We have some of the greatest teaching on our Lord's assurance. Once Judas is gone, then the instruction in verse 31 of chapter 13, then the instruction and the preparation of the 11 who would be along with Matthias, who's added in Acts chapter 1, the 12 apostles, which are the foundation of the church. They're still the foundation of the church. There are no apostles today. Otherwise, we'd still be building the foundation, wouldn't we? And we're way up in the superstructure of the temple of the Lord. Two thousand years almost since the beginning of the church. The foundation was laid, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Of course, it all rests on him, just like the cornerstone of a building does. It all rests in him. But he appointed these apostles. And you know what? You wouldn't know the gospel. I wouldn't know the gospel without them. Because you haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen him. You've never seen a crucifixion probably. I haven't either. Everything I've based my whole life and faith on is in the New Testament of the apostles of Jesus Christ. It's called the apostles doctrine in Acts 2.42 for a reason. They wrote it. They were assigned by that from the king himself, the Lord Jesus. And he's preparing them. But while he's preparing them, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. (laughs) And that's in chapter 14. Some of my life verses. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Some great instruction on love. It's interesting. When you look at this in verse 1 of chapter 13, he loved his own who were in the world. In... Verse 34 of chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another in the same way I loved you. That's the challenge. And he says it's a new commandment because in Leviticus nineteen eighteen, remember the commandment under the law was to love one another as you loved yourself. But now he's elevating it. He's saying you're to love one another as I have loved you. How did I love you? After you got your act all together, is that when I loved you? After you got all cleaned up, is that when I loved you? I loved you when you were, while we were yet sinners. Paul puts it. And that's, that's a challenge, isn't it? To love one another like that? To be forgiving? In fact... Might be a challenge to you. If you is there someone you're having a struggle with in personality or a disagreement, offer to wash their feet. That's a good way to start in dealing with it, isn't it? Undo those shoelaces or sandal and take that foot off and wash it and humble yourself because that's what God's like. You want to know what God's like? And then. He ends the section in verse 31 of chapter 14, again focused on love. So 13.1, 13.34, and now 14.31, But that the world may know that I love the Father. He loved them. They're to love one another. But Jesus says, that the whole world may know that I love the Father, I'm going to go up that hill of Calvary. I'm going to go up to the cross. See? He says, As the Father gave me commandments, so I do. I'm going to do this thing. Tomorrow. The next day. On Friday. It's going to have been six six hours on that cross. Die for the sin of the world. Now, Just We won't get to the rest of the upper room discourse, but to kind of think through synthetic analysis, right? Think through the big picture, like folks down on the analytical and step back and look at the synthesis and keep doing that. That's what we call hermeneutical spiral. It's to keep it in the part with the whole, back to the part, back to the whole. In chapter 15, we have another parable. So chapter 13 begins with a parable, the foot-washing parable. And in chapter 15, we come to another parable, it's the parable of the vine and the branches. Now, chapter 13 and 14 and chapter 15 and 16 have many interesting parallels, and one of the primary ones is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of the richest Description and definition and instruction on who the Holy Spirit is and what he's here to do is in John 13 through 16. You can pull them out and put them right in with the Pauline epistles and with the rest of the epistles as instruction, probably some of the longest instruction we have on the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. And don't we live in a world where the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit is really misunderstood? <laughs> and we in what we call maybe conservative circles or dispensational circles, however you want to define it, in an overreaction to Pentecostalism, because Pentecostalism does bring in extremes and eccentricities with regard to the person and work of the Holy Spirit that aren't in the Bible. They're not biblically defensible. But in overreaction, sometimes we go to the other extreme and rule out the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit altogether. Right? And in doing that, we are violating a command which says quench not the Holy Spirit or the command that says grieve not the Holy Spirit. So we want to be careful not to go to either extreme. We want to stay with the biblical definition. Like someone said, asked me years ago, we were washing hands in the bathroom at the Engineering company. Are you a Calvinist or are you an Armenian? Well, that's kind of an interesting question to ask while you're washing your hands in the bathroom. But the Holy Spirit gave me the answer. I'm neither. I'm a biblicist. Okay? I don't follow a man. I follow the God-man, Jesus Christ, and his word, the Bible. And so when it comes to the definition of the person and work of the Holy Spirit... Let's be biblicist. And there's rich instruction on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So our Lord in chapter 13 and 14 with the parable of the foot washing, he's focusing on our responsibilities to one another in the community. And that's mainly what we'll focus on this week. That's as far as we'll probably get. But it's kind of nice because we have Valentine's Day, which is a community thing on Wednesday, and we have the picnic on Saturday, which is another community thing. So the Holy Spirit kind of helped bring these things together. I didn't. I don't know that the elders did, but I'm going to give credit to God for bringing these things together to help us. But then in chapter 15, with the vine and the branches, he's going to instruct them because the most commonly used word or one of them in that section is the world. And how they're going to be persecuted by the world. And how they're going to be different from the world. And how the world hates Him. And so it's going to hate them. Us. The world hates those who align themselves with Jesus Christ. And if you're not experiencing that kind of persecution, it's maybe because those in your office and those in the workplace and those in your... Community and your school don't know you're a Christian. And if they don't know you're a Christian, you've got other problems. (laughs) You got to go back to the community side of it, right? You need to get saved, the washing of regeneration, and they need to be participating in renewing of the Holy Spirit every day, which is what the foot washing parable is intended to teach. And after looking at their testimony in and to the world, the Lord says, I'm going to, He's going to pray in John 17. Don't take them out of the world. Leave them there. Now, I would say, Lord, after I'm saved, I want to go. I want to go be with you like Peter. Peter says, I, I'm going with you, Lord. But Lord says, no. I've got an assignment for you. I've got a work for you to do first. First. Now, it's interesting to me. Turn back to Luke chapter 22. And that's what we'll close with. We'll get into John 13 this evening, Lord willing. But to set this perspective, remember Luke tells us in his prologue, in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, what he was setting out to do. Now, Matthew's gospel is clearly topical. Mark's is the most chronological and Matthew and Mark followed probably a document. I think the scholars call it document Q or whatever it is that they, that Matthew probably took as shorthand. He, being the accountant and knowing detail, probably took shorthand as he, and because they're, they word for word almost follow each other. Luke says that he stepped back years later and he, as an accurate historian, interviewed the eyewitnesses because Luke wasn't there. He didn't get saved till after the resurrection. And so he carefully interviewed as a precise journalist back when we had real journalism, as a precise journalist or historian, and he set it out. So Luke is telling us he's setting it out chronologically, right? And he's the one that tells us that, that Judas was still there for the Lord's Supper because... The Lord says in verse 21, the Lord's Supper begins in verse 19, right? He took bread and then he took the cup in verse 20. And then in verse 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is where? He's with me on the table. He's still there. And the quotation from Psalm 41, 9 that John will record in chapter 13. He who has eaten my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He has eaten my bread. That would indicate, someone could say maybe just the Passover, but Luke would tell us the Passover and the Lord's Supper, and then he was dismissed. He was there for the Passover, he was there for the Lord's Supper, he was there for the foot washing, and then he was dismissed. John tells us that. But we Christians... I sometimes wonder how the Lord puts up with this. I include me. <laughs> right? Because after the Lord had humbled himself to wash their feet, guess what they're talking about still? The whole reason why one of them didn't wash their feet, why didn't they get up to do it? Well, that was the position of the lowest servant in the house. And they, that wasn't any of them. So therefore they sat back and waited. And so the Lord does it. And so Luke tells us in verse 24 of chapter 22. And there arose a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered. Oh no. The greatest. After what he had just done. Now to me this is fascinating. Fascinating. Doesn't it not show the patience and long-suffering and humility of our Lord? Now, I think sometimes I've heard workers, traveling workers, need to be careful, too. I mean, you hear at some of these national conferences how they talk about how they're competing for the, they want to have the highest place in the conference and get to speak at this certain plenary session and all that. And it makes me want to throw up. I wonder what it makes the Lord think. We need to be careful amongst Christians too. This idea of who's going to be the greatest. Because we live in a world that thinks like that. And we're not not like that anymore. We're a new creation. We don't think like that anymore, I hope. Or increasingly we judge it when we think that way and get away from it. And look what our Lord does. The kings, verse 25, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And that's true still. 2,000 years later. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. And that's still true, right? People want to align themselves with the politician that can do good things for them. That's the whole definition of politics, it seems like. Lining yourself up with the one who's going to give you the most in your district or whatever. But not so among you. They've just been... I imagine they had to feel a little convicted, wouldn't you? They'd just been arguing who's the greatest. And, you know, Peter, James, and John were saying, probably, you know, we were the ones on the Mount Hermon and Mount Transfiguration. You other eight of you, you had to stay down there on the hill. We have to be in the inner circle or whatever. Gracious. As Robert E. Lee said, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all come the same way as sinners. And so the Lord says, on the contrary, he who is greatest among you, he's going to give a definition of greatness in the church right here. I don't know if you're familiar with it. If you struggle with being the greatest, put this on your mirror or put it up in front of your coffee pot in the kitchen or wherever you spend a lot of time. He says, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as the one who washes feet, serves, like I just did. See, this follows the foot washing he had just done in John 13. Can you imagine the impact after he had just done that? These words really jump out then. He says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? You go to the restaurant, who is greater, the one sitting at the table being served or the waiter doing the serving? Who's greater? In the world's eyes, the one being served, right? The master, he sits there at the table and he gets served and he expects to be served in the world. But not so among you, he says, but I am among you. There's the one who serves. He's the king. He's the awesome Jehovah. He's the Lord of the universe. If there's anybody that should be served in this group or in this group or anywhere in the universe, it's him. Right? Would you agree with me on that? Even if you don't love him, wouldn't you agree that just because of who he is and his title of who he is? Your heart wouldn't continue beating, and mine either, if he wasn't allowing that. Your next breath. Every cell in your body, he knows. I don't even know the cells. And yet he knows every planet, every solar system in the universe, too. He says but I am among you as one who serves. And that particularly has impact when you put it with John 13, when he had just washed their feet. He had just demonstrated. He's not just giving them theory here. He had just done it. And that's why he's going to say, you're blessed. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. One thing to know them, but it's not enough just to know it, is it? God's not pleased when we just know it and not do it. He wants us to do it at self-sacrifice, with humility, and genuine agape love. It's a high calling. The high calling of God. Philippians 3. It's a high calling. But there isn't any higher calling in the whole planet than this. Beloved, there is anything higher. But if that isn't enough, to me, this is, that would be enough. Luke, you could stop right here and my cup is full. I'm already overwhelmed with conviction just reading these and putting it in portion. But then, this is the heart of God too. And you know this from your own experience, right? When he chastises and rebukes and disciplines you or me, he does it better than anybody that I've ever coached. You never came close. I had some coaches I really respected, and they really helped me a lot. But they didn't discipline me like, and my parents, God bless them, but they didn't discipline me like him. Know what he does? He, he disciplines. But then he comes in with one of the most awesome promises in the whole Bible. Isn't that just like our Lord? He says, after, you know, they're all, they've got to be crestfallen. He had just really rebuked them, right? He just said, I'm among you you as one who serves. I got up and washed the feet. Why didn't any of you do it? Why didn't you do it, Peter? Why didn't you do it, John? Why didn't you do it? Philip, Nathaniel. But then he says, verse 28, there's a shift. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. Oh, wow. He says, despite the fact that you didn't get up and wash each other's feet, and despite the fact of all your shortcomings, there's one thing that's true. You stayed with me. You're loyal, right? Even in my adversity, the Jewish leaders were against me. The Gentiles didn't respect me. I came as the king of the universe and look what they, they spat on me and hung me to a cross. But you continued with me and I don't forget that. Well, that's part of the definition of holiness. See, loyalty. Loyalty to him because we love him. His person. And loyalty to the relationship. And loyalty to the relationship like it is with human relationships, we guard that relationship when we treasure it, right? We don't let just anything interfere with that because we treasure it. We treasure the relationship. And the Lord is going to say the relationship with him has got to be first priority and paramount in all relationships, all of them. But look what he says. Verse 29, and I bestow upon you a kingdom. (laughs) It's like, where did that come from, Lord? (laughs) I appoint you. And what he's saying to them, he's saying to you and me. Because they're the foundation of the church. They're the apostles. And we're part of that same church. And he says, despite all of this, You stayed loyal to me and I appoint you to a kingdom. And then suddenly you sit back. Whoa. Everything I've tried to live for in this world and it's all going to perish. It's all going to burn up. None of it's going to survive. But the kingdom he's talking about is forever and it's glorious and it's awesome and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and words can't even describe it. And they don't deserve it because he says, I appoint it to you. I'm going to give it to you. It's my father's good pleasure to just give you the kingdom, he says earlier in Luke. You couldn't earn it. I couldn't earn it. And that's why we pray, especially with meaning, Lord, thy kingdom come. Amen, brethren. Do you do you, all, you wake up in the morning. Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. It's already being done in heaven, but it isn't being done on earth. No, no, there's, there's a lot of rebellion against you on earth, but there's going to be a time coming when the kingdom's going to come to this earth when Jesus Christ reigns and we're going to be reigning with him according to Revelation chapter one and chapter five and this verse. And so that's why Brother McDonald used to like to call, use the term about this life is training for reigning. The reigning isn't now. It's suffering now. The glory's later. That's why the health and wealth gospel it is not biblical. It doesn't follow the Bible. It's suffering now. It, you continued with me in my sufferings, in my trials. But if we suffer with Him, we shall also be glorified together with Him. Right? That's a certainty. So if you're suffering, I'm sure you are. I am. got a family that's totally gone into apostasy. I mean, my siblings and my dad just totally. I thank God. Mom's in heaven. She missed all of this. It's terrible. But the Lord's the priority. And the work for the Lord is the priority. And it's a way for Satan to get at me, but he'll use other tactics too, won't he? Because he's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night at the throne of God. God allows him to do that up until the midpoint of the tribulation, and then it's done, finally. Can't wait. He says, I appoint you to a kingdom, and I have upon spoil- you a kingdom just as my father gave one to me. <laughs> That you may do what? Eat and drink at my table. That's the king's table. You're going to have access to the king's table. Eat and drink at my table. They just had the table of the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What? The religious leaders of Israel in that day. They thought they were the judges of Israel. They were self-appointed. They had usurped. The Aaronic priesthood, they weren't even Levites, let alone in the family of Aaron, the Sadducees I'm speaking about, but they had usurped, and they thought they were... God says, Nuh-uh. no, No, I've got my kingdom, and the 12 apostles are going to be judging. Well, if the 12 apostles are going to be judging in Israel, what do you think might be your responsibilities and mine in the kingdom? Hmm? And if they're going to be judging... That is making decisions and rendering administrative decisions in the kingdom on earth as the vice regent of the Lord. You see why the Lord wanted to prepare them for that and why they needed preparation and why you and I need preparation too. Which brings us back to the foot washing. We need to participate, we need to cooperate. And we need to be diligent. We need to deliberate in our preparation. And the Lord's told us how. And a big part of that is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And that'll come out, I trust, in our studies. That's just an introduction, all right? So, Lord willing, we'll come back to the event of the foot washing, the instruction... And the application of it tonight. That's the first 17 verses of John 13. Thank you for your concentration. That's a lot of information. I hope I didn't overwhelm you with too much information. But may it help us to keep our focus and priorities aligned. huh? Father, we thank you for your word. You are awesome. The Lord Jesus is awesome. and you have a plan or you have your master plan and it's going forward and there are so many people in this world that need to know it, Lord. There's so many that are on the wrong road. But thank you for those that are here that are on the right road, the road to life, the road to responsibility, the road to judging in the kingdom of God and to have a real role in your future plans. If there's someone here that doesn't know the Lord as Savior, Pray they'll stay behind and talk to one of us so we can show them from the Word of God how they can have life today. We give you thanks. Be with us as we part. Get us home safely wherever our destinations are. So we ask in the Lord Jesus' precious name.